Acts chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 says this. Uh, While Apollos, he was another uh, uh, preacher of the gospel, probably an apostle, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We're starting a new series today called The Holy Spirit. I mean, I I worked for creative titles. We had all kinds of things. I even thought about calling it ghost stories just because I thought that was catchy. But I realized, you know what? I want people who want to find out more about the Spirit of God to be able to do in a Google search, it would just pop up. And I want them to be able to hear the teachings that you're going to receive over the next several weeks. We're planning right now as a preaching team to at least do about 10 to 12 weeks of of preaching and teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I'm willing to go longer if he leads us to do that because I'm not concerned about having neatly defined lines for a series. I'm most interested in you actually getting this and you actually receiving him, getting him and his work in your life. So we're starting that. That was a place... Uh, uh, called Ephesus. And I'm, by the way, I want to say this. And he said, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I feel like as I encounter people, I know that's, there was a place I was at. I was a follower of Jesus, and I did not know there was a Holy Spirit. And he, even after I began to know that there was this uh, third person of the Trinity, which I'll talk about here in a minute, I, I, uh, I had no idea who he was, how to interact with him, what it meant, and all that. And so maybe you're in that same place. And and especially for those of you where this video might get shared online, I, I really want this to bless you and help you however far the Lord will take this. And uh, when Paul, that was Paul going to Ephesus. And notice, I want you to think about this. Paul didn't come, he said he found some disciples there and said, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Now, there's a lot of things that are inherent in that statement, in that question. First of all, it recognizes the possibility that somehow you could believe and not receive the Holy Spirit, at least in the way that Paul was talking about. Now, I personally believe that when a person says yes to Jesus, they receive a measure of the Spirit of God, and that measure of the Spirit of God does something uh, to you in regenerating you or reconnecting you to God. But then after you're reconnected, God desires that we would come under the influence and live under the influence of the one, not only the one who connected you and made you born again, but now he wants to lead your life and all that. And so you'll see that this wasn't just to the people at Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he said... Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now the word spiritual gifts there in the original language is a Greek word called pneumatikos. It means spirituals or spiritual things. They put gifts on it because that was the context of what he was writing about. But he really was basically saying, hey, concerning spiritual things, all things that are spiritual, I don't want you ignorant. I think... That ignorance is pretty high in the, the, the world today. Look, he walked up to a group of disciples and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, uh, yeah, we don't even know what you're talking about. And we believe in Jesus. And, and, and we were baptized into a baptism that John the Baptist gave. And he would go on to baptize, tell them about the Holy Spirit, tell them about Jesus Christ and make sure they understood the gospel. He would rebaptize them in water in Jesus' name and then... He would pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they would. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's finishing a letter, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Notice what he says there. Jesus, God as in the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, God the Father, 
and the Holy Spirit. What's he want out of those three to be with you? The grace of Jesus, love of God the Father, and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, Lydia is going to talk about that communion next week. It's, it's the expression of really tight friendship, best friends. And uh, she's going to address that. But I want to talk out of that about this thing that's kind of mysterious to a lot of people about the Trinity. The Bible calls the Trinity the Godhead. If you're confused, you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I get you, because when I got saved and came to Christ, I was like, what are all these weird terms these Christians use? The Trinity is speaking of the, of, of the three uh, persons, as it were, mentioned there. God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And it, in theological circles, when they go to unpack this, you go to seminary, there's all kinds of... Actually, this, uh, the, the expression Trinity got nailed down at a place called Nicaea through a group of Christians, and it was called the Nicene Creed. And part of that creed was establishing that God is, in fact, a, if I could put it this way, a three-in-one God. So the Jews would have had, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Then along, comes a little while later, you have the church coming along, talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So frustrating was this to the Jews that at one point when the Pharisaical leaders were coming after Jesus, Jesus said, me, me and my Father, they were one. And other statements he would make like that, I'm the Son of God. And they understood that every time he declared himself to be the Son of God, he was actually declaring himself to be God. Because what is a son to a father? He's the heir. And in every, every way, in same nature, like his father. They understood, in fact, one place it says in the book of John, again, this is the point of my message today, I just want to set a foundation for your minds to, to, to walk on this process, to desire this. They said they wanted to kill him because he made himself equal with God. So you can't deny that at least there's two now, father and son on inequality with God. Later, the, they would go talk in the Bible about the Spirit of God and, and, and how the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep and, and he would be the creative work and the creative power, as it were, the one releasing the power of God and all the works of God. When Jesus was casting out demons and healing the sick, a group of religious leaders, so these are people who should be expert in their Bible, would say, he casts out demons by demons. And Jesus said, hey, listen, you can insult me and you can insult even God the Father, but if you insult or blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that in this age or the one to come. That is a strong and powerful statement about Jesus' honor and reverence, if I could put it that way, of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And yet in the modern church, I can hop online and show you lots of people who are quite comfortable going after those kind of things. And in my opinion, endangering themselves whether they know it or not. And so I want to invite you to, 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 to just to walk in wisdom in this. And I want to say something about the Trinity. Because I, when I was young in the Lord, I was always trying, how many ever tried to wrap your mind around that who are here in this room? Okay, how can they be three and yet they're one? And you're trying to figure that out, right? And so I had this analogy like, you know, water, the states of matter, like H2O is water and it's, it's ice and it can be steam. And that helped me for a while, but that, it can't be all those in the same place at the same time. And that kind of bothered me, you know. It's all H2O, but it's not all in the same place at the same time. And, and I'm sure in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all in the same place at the same time. And then I, 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 had, this, I had kind of had an epiphany. I, I, it, 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 it was really, this helps me. Now listen, I'm not saying I'm demystifying something that's baffled whatever, people for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. But 
I think it helps me. Philadelphia Eagles is a, foot, is a football team. For better or for worse, it's a football team. And um, some seasons it's a lot worse than others. Okay, so when you say the Philadelphia Eagles and, I, and you start talking, about, man, I love the Eagles, and nobody goes, which one? Right? Because when you think of the Eagles, you're thinking of the team. Yet we know the Eagles has multiple players on that team. Make sense? Multiple players. And when you begin to individuate who they are, you go, well, uh, there's this player and that player. You can tell I know the Eagles real well. Uh, I know the older, Nick Foles. Yeah, I like that guy. You know, those kind of things. I know yeah, So some of the Eagles, but you begin, to, you begin to list out all the different names of the players. You recognize that they are individual players on a team called the Eagles. When we say he's one God in three persons, would you, it wouldn't be wrong to say it's one team in multiple persons, right? I don't know why this baffles people. This just isn't rocket science. That means I could, I could theoretically develop, in the case of the God, you can't do this, but in the case of a team, I could theoretically develop a strong relationship with one player on the team while not having a relationship with the other players. I think the Jews have done that where they try to develop a relationship with God the Father without recognizing who Jesus is, and so they don't come to Jesus. Of course, they need Jesus to really access the Father, but they know who Yahweh is, right? Then you have Christians who know who Jesus is, and they come to the Father through a relationship with Jesus, but they ignore the player on the team called the Holy Spirit. I think God is team. He's one God with multiple players. Now, I know somebody out there is going to pick this up on the web, and you're going to some theological person who's going to write me some long diatribe about why that doesn't make any sense. Usually, people like that are not doing anything for the kingdom of God anyway, so I'm going to ignore you. So, just telling you that up front. Uh, you spend too much time chasing those things down and not enough time reaching the lost for Jesus. So, anyway, I digress. But, uh, so I want, I want those of you, though, who, who get this, who, who understand that we need to surrender our lives to walking with God, and I mean all of him and all his persons. And this is why we're doing this, because honestly, like, men, like those people found at Ephesus, we would walk up and say, yeah, I don't know much about the Holy Spirit. So I want to pause here for just a moment. I want you to ask yourself a question online, wherever you're at. What has been my experience with the Holy Spirit? For some people, your experience is, yeah, man, I, I got convicted of my sins. The Holy Spirit convicted me. He brought me to Jesus. Yet Jesus says things like in John 16, like he's going to lead you into all truth. Listen, he's going to show you things to come. How many of you in your relationship with the Holy Spirit having him showing you things to come? Because that's part of the relationship. Testifying of Jesus, glorifying Jesus, that's part of the relationship. Conforming you to the image of Christ, that's part of the relationship. Releasing the spirit of adoption on your heart, that's part of the relationship. Testifying of Jesus Christ through signs, wonders, and miracles, and the gifts of the Spirit described in 1 Corinthians 12, that's part of the relationship. And he wants you to get in on it. So where are you at with this? And so the goal of this message, really, this message, is to remove obstacles in the form of fear, in the form of ignorance, in the form of bad experiences. Bad experiences, bad theology, and bad humanity can keep us from receiving the gift that God has for us. Now, as I dive into this, all of us have a journey where we come upon something. I don't know how you came upon God, 
You know, I, I had a neighbor who, who talked to me about Jesus, and I was like a four-year-old kid, five-year-old kid, and I think I said some curse word I probably heard my parents say, and she looked at me in shock like I would say such a thing. Evidently, it was a Christian lady, and, and she said, those words will put blackness in your bones, and I was like, what? I'm a kid. I'm like five years old going, I'm scared. Blackness in my bones. What's that even mean? You know, say those things, you know. They called poop shoo-shoo. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the way they talk, so... So, I mean, I, I appreciated her. We all stumble upon something, right, when we come into it. I remember the first time I really began to have an experience with the Holy Spirit. I didn't know I was having an experience with the Holy Spirit. I went to a church called Arlington Christian Center. I don't even know where they're at theologically. I was a kid, didn't know any better. My grandmother had pancreatic cancer, was dying with pancreatic cancer, but she was going to this church and uh, praying for healing, hoping God would heal her. So I'd never been around churches with, like the only church I've ever been in, like they didn't have drums and guitars. And I was like, this church is different. And so uh, I went in there and they had this guy, this guest uh, musician there and speaker, um, a guy named Phil Driscoll. Any of my older people know Phil Driscoll? Yeah, man, that boy could blow a trumpet like nobody's business. And so I go in there and I'm like 12, 14 years old. I don't remember exactly. He's playing something and I, every hair from my toe to my skull stands up to attention before the Lord. He's like, bah, 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 bah. he's doing his thing and my hair's like, Pfft. you know, my hairs were just saluting God, you know, in the spirit. And I remember I was like, mom, I'm feeling stuff go through. What is going on? And my mom's like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, honey. And I'm like, what you talking about? Holy anything. Like, you know, I've known nobody, nobody in my family was in with the Lord. I don't even know how she knew that. And I was like, and some of you experienced that. I had goosebumps. No, no, no. This wasn't goosebumps. This, uh, there's goosebumps and then there's God bumps. <laughs> Glory bumps. I don't know what you call them, but it's different. It penetrates you deeper, right? That was my first experience. <clears throat> that was about 14 years old. Later, I went and visited a Methodist church became a part of it my friend Keith. I still wasn't born again, to be truthful. But I was starting to have experiences with Jesus. <clears throat> and I encountered this song called the doxology. And if you know it, I'd like you to sing it with me, if you can. Mark, can you give me something like, so I can reference? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise <laughs> uh, and so, but I remember one of the times we sang through that, I must have sang it like three or four times. I visited church, and when they finished and they did it that time, my, my, my mind locked onto Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. And I remember thinking, who is the Holy Ghost? And that was it. Later, my mom, some of you, many of you have heard this story, I'd be telling about my mom getting uh, saved, coming to Christ when I was also just a little while after that. I was 17, pushing 18. She became a part of this Pentecostal church called Cowboy Church, where guys wore huge belt buckles, and they, you had to walk through Billy Bob's bar, because they met in this bar, and you walked through, and you had to go around the mechanical bull. I mean, everything about them would violate anything you have in the form of a religious spirit. 
I'm in a bar. There is, there's, there's hay on the ground, and I had to walk a mechanical bull, you know, take me past the outer court, through the holy place, past the brazen <laughs> altar, I think was the bull, into the holy place. So anyway, it was kind of that kind of thing, and I, I went in there, and, and I remember feeling something in the, in the sense of something, but I didn't know what it was. That was the first time, you know, uh, they're worshiping, and they're singing, do Lord, oh, do Lord, oh, do remember me, and I'm like, all right, and my mom says, honey, just lift your hands to the Lord, it'll set you free, and I'm looking at her like, I didn't, mm, 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 that ain't happening. And when I began to realize, I went through that journey, I did finally, when nobody was looking like, I'm going to do this. Ah, I felt like I was lifting 10,000 pounds. It was just my hands. I lifted them up many times. But this time, because it was worship, something in surrender is so difficult. I was learning that the process of walking with the Spirit of God was going to require a life of surrender that I wasn't really walking yet. Later, I would go to Christ for the Nations in Dallas. I'd walk in these prayer rooms. I'd never been around this. And where people would speak in tongues. I'll talk about it. I got a whole message dedicated to tongues at the very end of the series. But um, because it's, it, it's, it's baffled people. It's confused people. My own father asked me, hey, do you do that? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, why would you want to do that? And I got that in a whole other message. I'll explain it to you. But when I, at the time, I didn't understand. And I walked into this room. And they're like, and it just sounds like that to me. That's what it sounded like to me. It was loud. And it was loud. Really loud. Like I couldn't almost hear myself think loud. Like they prayed loud. It was no joke. Now, I visited nations all over the world, and a lot of uh, different cultures also pray very loud, and I discovered that it's us kind of Westerners that are a little more quiet and reserved. But anyway, but then later, my hunger kept growing. I this desire to know more about this third person of the Trinity was growing. I got invited to a small group where, where they were going to have pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They began to explain that through the scriptures, and there was this like, I don't know, maybe, what is this, five foot? I'm like five foot seven, so maybe like that. Five foot tall, maybe four foot ten, little Mexican lady named Lupe. And Lupe was going to pray for everyone there to receive the baptism. She was, she was like doing her arm like this, like, like it was on fire or something. And she's holding it out, you know. And, and so I'm like, okay, ready. And like Lupe does it. It wasn't like, like if you come to Lifeway and we pray for you, it's a real gentle touch, right? Nobody should. Lupe, Lupe was like running from like, I don't know, southern Mexico up through Texas to come to me. And like, and I'm like, you can't, it's like, receive the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, you know, and, and I fell down, not under the power of God, under the power of a five foot woman shoving the Holy Spirit or thinking she's shoving the Holy Spirit into me. Anybody? I'm not even asking you have that kind of experience. I've got a, I, there's a, there's a, I'm, this is all going somewhere. I know you're wondering. I know at this point you're wondering, but it really is. In 19, I had, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'll talk about a little bit at the end of the message. But right after that, in 1994, this thing broke in upon the earth in, a, in, a, in Toronto, Canada, that became known as the Toronto Blessing. With it were all kinds of crazy manifestations of the spirit, of a spirit, or a flesh, or whatever. I mean, it depends who you talk to. In fact, I did a Google search for Toronto Blessing videos. Here's the first two titles that came up. Toronto Blessing, the greatest thing that's happened in the church in the last 100 years. Here's the other title, right under it, the demonic Toronto Blessing Movement. Here, here's why I'm bringing this up, and, and I'm, 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 I'm talking about this. Because I was, like, in the Toronto, I saw, a t I, saw, I saw a ton, say ton. I'm not talking a few things. When Lydia and I were in Texas, Sojourn Church, still my favorite church uh, outside of ECC. Um, we learned so much, we grew there, but they were immersed in this. 
I saw a lady, a lady, literally, I won't forget her. I don't even know her name. I won't forget her. I mean, I won't, I won't forget who she is in visual. This blonde-headed lady rolling around the walls laughing. I'm rolling. I thought, this is why they call them holy rollers. I think I figured it out. So they're, they're, she's rolling around the walls laughing. I saw people laying on the floor going, ah! stuff like that, you know, and, and, and I saw they pray for people, and it was just like, it's a pile of bodies, and it was crazy. I know Effort of Community Church went through its own version of that experience, and it, it, honestly, it freaked me out. I remember sitting up front asking God a lot of questions. There was laughter. There was weird animal noises. There, uh, you know, and, and, and so here's my observation. There was spirit there, Holy Spirit there, and there was flesh, and there were demons, and the bottom line Lives were changed. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus walked through a people, demons manifested. It wasn't just the Spirit of God manifesting and just people getting healed. Demons manifested. What do we have to do with you, Jesus? You know, whatever face they make. I mean, how many know that happened to your church service? You're a little freaked out. Some dude starts doing that. And Jesus is like, yeah, here's what you have to do with me. Come out of him. And they fall on the ground. That's a crazy meeting. What do you think? I follow that guy. His name's Jesus. And when you follow that guy, he says, these signs will accompany them that believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will heal the sick. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. And theologians, because they hate that that's there, they will go, well, that's in this one version of this kind of the scriptures. It wasn't in other versions. Therefore, we dismiss it so we don't have to deal with it. That's how we deal with it. Even if that's not there, in my experience, the God of the Bible the God of yesterday is the God of today. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever, says the book of Hebrews. And so I would see this stuff, and, 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 and I remember in one of my times at Sojourn, I was very frustrated at this church and, and watching stuff happen. I, I promise you, there was a kid, seriously, it wasn't the Lord, it was demonic, and I went to one of the elders, I said, I was new to the church, I said, do you want me to cast that out of him? And the elder said, oh, no, no, that's God. I said, man, if that's God, he's trying to get something out of that guy. And there's a lot of confusion about what's the Holy Spirit, what's demonic, and what's my flesh. Have you ever been there? And, and I remember asking the Lord in that meeting, saying, Lord, what, what do I do with this? And, and how do I see this? And, and I was trying to process all that. Is this you? I was ready to run away from it. I was ready to call it out. And I'm a guy who was into the Holy Spirit. I'm not a cessationist. I'm a guy, what we call a continuationist. I believe the works of the Spirit are for today. Even then, that's where I was at. And it was so weird, it was weird me out. So then I was like, well, Lord, what do you have to say about this? And I heard the Holy Spirit remind me of the passage of the wheat and the tares, how there was a farmer that sowed wheat into his field, and then there was this enemy that went out and sowed weeds, or this thing called a tear, into the field. And, and when they found out the enemy had done this, he, the the, the servant comes to the Lord of the harvest and says, what would you like me to do? Would you like me to go uproot? Would you like me to go pull up all the tares? He said, no, you'll destroy the wheat in the process. Let the wheat and the tares grow up together. And then at the harvest, we'll sort all this stuff. That's what I felt like the Lord told me about that movement. He said, there is demonic here. There's flesh here, but there is a work of the spirit. That's honestly just exposing the flesh of some people manifesting the demons of others, but I saw lives change, powerful change. And so I wasn't, frankly, I, because I was so suspicious of the movement, I never really got anything out of it other than to be open to the idea that God can do things that don't fit my idea of what God will do. 
And, and why do people get confused about what is what? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're not sure. So you're going to avoid the whole thing altogether. You know, it's interesting. In the gold rush of 1848 to 1855, people migrated at 300,000 people migrated out to the state of California to go mine gold. The reality of it was, though, when they went to mine gold, they discovered around the gold is a whole lot of dirt. And you got to dig into the dirt to find the gold. On top of that, you could be digging into the dirt to find the gold and run into something that's called fool's gold. Fool's gold looks a lot like gold, but has no value. Honestly, I feel like that when it comes to the manifestation of the Spirit. Let's contrast for a moment gold and fool's gold. Gold is the reality of God. It's, it's the purity of the Holy Spirit. It's the work that he does in your heart to make you holy and to become like him. Fool's gold is this counterfeit that kind of manifests and does stuff, says things, uses prophetic language. The Spirit of the Lord says, and, and they walk around. It looks like they're praying in tongues, but their lives never change. Friends, I don't know what you're experiencing, but you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit because let me, like, let me give you a clue, and just for fun, his first name is Holy. And if you're not becoming more like him, you probably don't got the real deal. It's just kind of simple for me. Now, I recognize there's immaturity. I recognize there's a process. And for people to become that, we refine gold even when we find it in the natural. We take real gold, we refine it, we get the dirt out, and the preciousness remains. But that's kind of how you tell the difference. Now, listen, it's not the fool's gold people I'm addressing today, but I want you fool's gold people to think about that. If you're manifesting stuff, but you're still cursing in secret, you're still living a life of disobedience to God, you still are rebellious, you don't kind of like other Christians, you think you're the coolest Christian, you don't know how to play well with the rest of the body of Christ, you probably got a counterfeit version of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to those, though, who don't have the real version of the Holy Spirit or the counterfeit. I want to talk to those who are, are, have, because of the stuff that's been done in the name of the Holy Spirit, you're afraid of the dirt. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. What's clay? It's dirt. And I want to talk about dirt and gold. I want to look at what's dirt and what's gold in our pursuit of the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at what is the jar of clay versus the treasure. And I just want to help you, listen, I just want to help you deal with the dirt in your lives. And there's three, three types of dirt I want to deal with. The dirt of bad experiences, the dirt of bad theology, and the dirt of bad humanity. When just Lydia and I were leading, uh, let's talk about bad experiences first. When just Lydia and I were leading a youth group, we had a young lady named Jessica. Always on our group. At the time we met her, she was probably, she probably joined us right literally 12, 13 years old. By 14 or 15, she had grown up in Livingstone's Fellowship when we were pastors. And during that time, they had had people come in. And I remember one time, Lydia and I sat and counseled a very scared. We talked about taking her to this conference where prophetic ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit would be happening. And she was very afraid to go. And I said, Jessica, what are you afraid of? Unpack that story with me. And she said, when I was like, and I forget how old she was. I'm just going to make up an age. When I was 10 or 12, there was this lady. And she told my parents she had a word for me. And she grabbed my hand and she wouldn't let go. And she looked me in the eyeballs this close. And, and when she tells the story, Jessica's eyes got like bulgy and big and fearful. Her face, this wasn't somebody just like trying to find a problem. She had an emotional reaction to someone who in the name of Jesus, in the name of the spirit of God, 
And it freaked her out. And so she's looking at her, and the Spirit of the Lord says to you. And it wasn't nice. It wasn't kind. It was like, hi, Jessica. Hey, I believe the Lord has a, has a word for you that he wants to share with you. And it didn't come in tenderness. It came in this weird, I don't know what it is, but it weirded her out. I know not only some of you in this room, but some of you who are watching this online, you've had that kind of experience. There was a phrase Lydia's dad would give to us that I gave to her in that moment. I said, listen, do you see the works of God in the Bible? She said, yeah, I do. You see prophecy, you see miracles, yeah. I said, so you're just having a hard time believing that this is that. She said, yeah. And I said, listen, I can't save you from bad experiences, but if we could put bad experiences in perspective, it might help. And I wanna say that to you online. I can't save you from bad experiences, but what if we could put them in some kind of perspective? This is what Lydia's dad said to me. We were talking about the works of the Spirit and how people were turned off, and especially as the Pentecostal movement began to hit the earth in the early 1900s. There was a phrase that he had been using that helped me. He said, misuse and abuse is no reason for disuse. Misuse of spiritual gifts, the abuse of spiritual gifts is no reason for the disuse of spiritual gifts. We know that in the rest of life, right? Like misuse of food, the abuse of food doesn't mean we should disuse eating food, right? We know that will be detrimental to our health. And yet when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we can't see the same detriment. You know, the Bible never calls it, you're going to receive the curse of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the weirdness of the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive the shame of the Holy Spirit. It never says that. It always calls them a gift. I think about people who've been sexually abused. God gives sexuality to a marriage for the purpose of, of mutual benefit, oneness, and procreation, and yet people have been abused and they're scared to death of it because somebody misused and abused it and they need an opportunity to get healed. At the end of this message, I wanna give you an opportunity to deal with that kind of pain related to the Holy Spirit so you can push bad experiences out of the way and say, those people who represented you, they weren't you. And just because they did those things doesn't mean I have to embrace that. The second dirt we want to deal with is the dirt of bad theology. Um, there was a pastor named uh, Craig Snow who came to me. He had been a part of a class I taught called Exploring the Prophetic. In Exploring the Prophetic, um, his life was dramatically impacted as he saw me train a group of people who had never heard God begin to understand that they were already hearing God and how to apply that in the form of ministry. So he asked me, would you come to my church? I want you to meet with my elders and talk about doing this class. So I went there. I sat down with his elders. They had a great dinner together. Then they brought me to the basement. When they brought me to the basement, the whole tenor changed. It was Jimmy Diamond sitting before the Sanhedrin. You know who the Sanhedrin were? They were the religious leaders that put people on trial in the scriptures. I'm sitting before them and Craig says, Jimmy, just go ahead and share your story. Now Craig's totally for me. So I start sharing my story about the stuff that God's done, the stuff he would have heard in the class. And then all of a sudden, I began to get uh, these faces that were getting tucked, and they start furrowing their eyebrows and looking at me like this. And, and I thought, okay, I can see they're not into uh, what I'm saying. One of the elders said, look, we don't even believe that's true today because the Bible says that when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. They were quoting the scripture from 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 8 verse through 12, it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in traditions of men. I would have no idea that at some point, I could never in my mind imagine reading that and thinking that is talking about the Bible. And so I said to them, I said, um, I don't see Bible, Scripture, or anything they're referring to that, which is perfect. Not in the context, not anywhere. Why would you assume that? And they literally just said, well, because it is. Because it is. You want me to believe because it is. And so I said to them, uh, how about 1 John 3, 2? Beloved, when we are children, we are now children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when we, he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When it says... Here, now we see in a mirror dimly, referring to Jesus, not about tongues, not about spiritual gifts, then face to face. Then we'll see him face to face. That's when that stuff will be done away with. And I said, and by the way, in the same passage, it says, not only does it say prophecies will cease and tongues will cease, it says knowledge will vanish away. I'm like, explain that one to me. And has knowledge vanished away? I missed that. I missed the memo on that one. No, what's it mean when it says knowledge? It means the informational kind of approach to the way we do stuff. Everything will be an experience. You will be in the presence of God who is knowledge. You don't need prophecy when you're in the presence of God because the revealer and the revelatory one is before you. You don't need healings when you're in the presence of God because the healer is present and there is no need for healing in heaven. We don't need spiritual gifts in heaven. We need them now to testify to who he is. Amen. And so this, this conversation went on. And, they, and so then I began to tell them, you know, they said, well, you're just basing things on your experience. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I said, um, first of all, how does me having an experience diminish the fact that I'm walking by faith? It took faith for me to believe those experiences were there and to wait and ask God to actually accomplish the very experiences that he holds in your word. So they were saying, in other words, you base things on your experience and not the scriptures. And so what I said to them, What's a guy supposed to do when he's praying in his dorm room and an angel of the Lord appears to him and lays hands on him? And that guy goes, how do you know it wasn't Satan masquerading as an angel of light? And I was like, man, that is a really good question. Can I ask you a question? I said, why do you have more faith for the devil to do miracles than the God who created him? Crickets. That same guy came to me and repented later and said, you know, I never, I, I do, I've ascribed more faith to the devil to have power than God. I said, listen, my experiences line up with the scriptures. My experiences, angels appeared to people in the scriptures. People got healed in the scriptures. People spoke in tongues in the scriptures. They drove out demons in the scriptures. It's all the people that have made up some alternative version of the faith that ought to be checking their faith out. I'm not saying those of us who believe in those things don't have things we need to work on and check on, grow in godly character and virtue, but at least I believe that the Bible is not just a book of history, but a book of possibility. And so I said, you, you're basing, if you, I said, if you get honest, the only reason you believe that, if you were me, if you'd experienced the angel, would anybody be able to talk you out of it? He said, no. And I said, so really, you're basing things on your experience, that is your lack of it. Are you following me? Some of you were raised in traditions that taught you that stuff. It's a lie. It's bad. It's corrupted your possibility of experiencing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We want to change our mind. It's called repentance. When we change our mind, say, Lord, I let that go. I want to meet the God of the Bible, not the God that's been kind of morphed off an idea of that reality. Does that make sense? 
And listen, this is what I think about experiences. And I, I want to say that because some of you will get this online. You're going to think I'm one of those charismatic or Pentecostal preachers. We don't even call ourselves that here. We call ourselves continuations for that reason. I see with the charismatic tradition and with the Pentecostal tradition a lot of issues. There's a lot of baggage that comes with those traditions, a lot of dirt that comes with the gold. So we distanced ourselves to say, hey, we want to be able to experience um, gold. And so the scripture filter is this. Don't let your traditions become the filter where you look at and interpret the scriptures. Meaning, if you were taught the Holy Spirit doesn't do that today, show me the verse. If someone can't show you the Bible verse that God doesn't do it today, he's still doing it. You just haven't experienced it yet. And instead of saying trying to remove why you should not experience it. Why don't you ask God for the reality of the fullness of God? Lord, I want to know you in all the ways you want me to know you, whenever you want me to know it. I'm not rushing you, but man, I really would like to get in on the kingdom of God and experience some of that right now. So we don't let our traditions become the filter we look at and interpret the scripture. At the same time, and we need to, so we need to examine our traditions through the filter of scriptures. The scriptures are the standard. Lydia and I had a friend, uh, Kristen. I have a friend named Kristen. And Kristen... Uh, what was a part of our youth group during that time, and she would watch us minister to the youth, and she saw these youth getting filled with the Holy Spirit and having these experiences with God. And she said to us one day, she's Lydia's peer, she's about Lydia's age, she said, listen, I'm a Christian, you guys are Christians, but it seems that you have something that I don't have. And I, I knew what the Lord, I knew what I was going to say, and I knew it was going to make her mad, but I didn't want to make her mad, I just wanted to be honest. I was like, well, yeah, because we've been, we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you've not. And she's like, Oh, my dad, instant countenance change. I want what you got. Now I hate your guts. You know, I was like, whoa, that, that escalated quickly. And so she, she went for that. And I said, she said, she said, my dad warned me about people like you. You mean people like me? We don't know the scriptures. If I show you in the Bible and we let the Bible speak for itself, I won't even tell you what it means. I won't even tell you what it means. I'm just going to tell you, uh, you interpret it. So I walked through the Bible with her and it's, uh, it, it would say stuff like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see that there? She said, yeah. I said, now show him later saying, wait till you're baptized. Wait in Jerusalem till you've been a dude or filled with power from on high. So you see that? She said, yeah. I said, and I can walk her through a bunch of verses. I take her into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I said, what's that say to you? All the passages I kept saying, what's that say to you? By the time she got to that verse, she was quiet for a long time. She looked up at me and said, how did my dad not see all this? I said, oh, he did. I'm sure he saw it. I said, you're going to have to make a choice in your Christian journey. And I'm going to say that to all of you. You either are going to read what you already believe. That means you're going to read through the filter of your preconceived ideas about God, or you're going to believe what you read. I am not saying there's not tensions. I am not saying there's not challenges you're going to have to figure out. But there are certain things that are pretty plain and simple. And one of those is that we need the Holy Spirit. The other idea is that if there are guys that the Paul the Apostle could walk up to and say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It implies the possibility that there might be more that God wants to give us through what Jesus has done for us. Don't make it about have and have not. If you feel like you're in a have not category, ask for more because we serve. the Bible says in James, ask God with faith. He loves to give generously to those who ask. And I want to encourage you to be those who ask. And I want to finish with the third dirt, the dirt of a bad lifestyle. And by that, I mean the dirt of humanity or the dirt of sin. When I grew up, I, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in the church. I accumulated a life of sin. And as I accumulated a life of sin, of course, I got all the guilt and the shame that goes with that. Later, 
Jesus Christ. I would, I would be confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ again. I made a profession of faith, excuse me, when I was eight years old, but no one was there to raise me, and I don't know that I was really born again. I just did what the guy told me. I walked through a life of sexual immorality, a life of sin, and about, by about uh, 16 years old, um, had, you know, had my first sexual experience. By the time I was 22, so many times over, I lost count of all the relationships that I'd had. I'm not boasting in that. I'm saying I was lost. I wasn't finding satisfaction in, in a life, the party lifestyle. I get converted. I come to Jesus, but I still struggle with the same stuff. That happened when I was in the Marine Corps. I get back, and I begin to learn about this relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I took you like through what's normally a 30-minute testimony. That just took you through 25 minutes of it right there. And I want to finish this last five minutes as it pertains to the Holy Spirit. Because when I began to get interested in the Holy Spirit, I began to learn about this thing called the anointing, where the Holy Spirit rubs off on you the power of God. The word anoint just means to rub or to smear. Let me take, say it differently. How many of you ever had a friend that rubbed off on you? How many of you have seen somebody rub off on somebody else? What we're really saying with that expression, they're rubbing off on you, it literally comes from this word anoint. Like that's where it carried over from into English. It was this idea of you're being anointed with a bad anointing. A lot of what we are, the choices that we've made, you know, the Bible, the, the word spirit means, comes from the Greek word pneuma, the Hebrew word's ruach. If you're Chinese or you're into uh, uh, martial arts, Japanese, it would be the words ki and chi and, and those kind of words. And they all mean the same thing. They mean breath or wind. The Bible talks about a spirit of the age that works for the sons of disobedience. It's an influential spirit. It's a, like a wind or a breeze. It's trying to, just like a, a ship throws its sail up and it catches the wind and it moves it in a direction. You can catch the wind of the world. You can catch the wind of the spirit of the age. You can catch the wind of its fears and its values and it will cause you to run after it because you got your sail set to catch that wind. And there was a moment in my life where I had been catching that wind for a long time. And I wanted a new wind. I wanted a new spirit. I wanted to be born again. And I said yes to Jesus, but I still, well, some of you get what I'm talking about. You said yes to Jesus, but for some reason, your sail is still catching the wind of the world. And you want to change. Some of you are watching online right now. You want to change. One day I was sitting in my room and I began to walk through this process of spending time with God. And we'll unpack some of this as through, the, through the series as we go. But I would sit on the edge of my bed and I would confess my sins. And then and through the process, I began to ask the Lord about his purpose in my life. That's why we want you to know Christ and discover God's purpose for you. You're not discovering your purpose. You're discovering God's purpose and his intent in making you. And I, we, I want to discover God's purpose. Lord, why would you anoint me? What a, it, 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 I, if I throw my sail up, where is this all headed? And I'm doing the thing. Spirit of the Lord's upon you. The Lord's anointed you to preach good news to the poor. I threw my sail up that day to the Holy Spirit. I, unbeknownst to me, over 10 days, as I would spend time with God, there was a very tangible and real presence, not, not, not theoretical, experiential, that would increase in my room. This felt like an energy field or something, but it was God's presence in my room. And I, there was a time there after about 10 days, this as I was seeking gold, that I did some dirty things. I began to make out with my girlfriend, and I, we, we didn't do, do all the crazy stuff we could have done, but I remember when she left my heart, each day was getting more tender to the things that bother God, the things that grieve the Holy Spirit, and I fell on my face, and I began to cry and say, God, please change me. 
like change me or kill me, but I don't want to stay the same. Later that night, I went to a, uh, a, a home group where this lady named Judy was ministering and she went to pray for this girl named Christy. Christy wanted heal, being, to be healed of ovarian cysts. I'd seen a lot of people pray for her, but Judy invited me over to come pray for Christy. And so, uh, and I was like, okay. And so I began to sense that light presence of the Holy Spirit in that room like I felt only in that living room like I felt in my apartment. And when Judy said, begin to pray for Christy in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed, it felt like the heavens opened up and lightning struck me. And I heard what I now call the internal audible voice of God say, touch her. I stuck my hand out. I felt all this power discharge out of me and it like filled the whole room. I don't know how that all works. That's well beyond my pay grade. What I am saying is that I experienced something tangible, supernatural. Listen, for those of you out there going, God doesn't do that anymore aligns with the scriptures. She got up healed. She got up walking and leaping and praising God. And God did a lot more stuff that evening. Here's what I want to tell you. Right after that, I walked outside. I, was, I had been addicted to smoking for a good portion of my life. I walked outside and lit up a cigarette. And was like, wow, Lord, you really are serious about that preaching the gospel thing. Now, every time I tell that part of the story, it ruins it for everybody. Like, oh man, really? Really? Here's why I tell you that part of the story. Because God didn't wait for the dirt to become gold. God said, if you will invite the gold of the Holy Spirit into your dirt, he will transform you from the inside out until it, it's not just removing the dirt, it will transform it into a new creation. And some of you, you know, literally throughout, throughout centuries, magicians, wizards, all, all the stuff that we think of sorcery, it was all around alchemy and the desire to turn other elements into this thing called gold. Hey, Jesus Christ has already solved all that. Through the Holy Spirit, you can invite him into the inner, your inner man and the gold of the Holy Spirit will transform your dirt to conform to the image of the gold. Another way to say it, as the Bible says it, is he'll conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. For those of you standing or in the room, would you stand your feet? And for those of you online, would you get reflective in your inner man for just a second? What happened to me after that, within six, within, well, like, immediately I was freed from sexual immorality. I never had another sexual experience with a woman who was not my wife after that. I, 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 within six months, he freed me from smoking. Not long after that, he freed me from curse words like, the, I, was, I was a former Marine, okay? We used the F-bomb like an adjective. I, I got freed from all that. Within, and then within a few months, within about a year, so this, now we're at about a year and a half, I got freed from just walking in a habitual lying spirit. Listen, God didn't require me to get rid of all that before I received him. He simply said, will you desire to get rid of it? Will you change your mind about what it's doing for your life? That's called repentance. Will you invite Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life and let him do this work in you? And if you will, I will fill you with a helper. I will fill you with the Holy Spirit who will finish the job as you partner with him. If you're online today, out there, wherever you're at, some of you understand the kind of false conversion that I had. If you're in the room today, you might understand that where you said yes to Jesus, but your life didn't change. You didn't get the real thing, man. Let's get the real thing today. Here's how you get the real thing. You believe that Jesus Christ came from heaven, was born of a virgin, so it's God became a man in, in, the, in, the, in, in Mary's womb, 
lived a sinless life, went about doing good to all, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, kicking out their demons, preaching the kingdom of God. Then he went to the cross intentionally, not accidentally, not by the will of man, but by the will of God to die for our sins. He gave up his life that those who believe in him wouldn't have to carry the burden of their sin. They could say, Lord, I've messed up a lot of stuff. I want to be cleansed. I want to be forgiven. Do it to me. Do it right now. And everyone, he says, that calls on him, and listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will not be put to shame. Everyone, that means you. He will not put you to shame, but you've got to ask Jesus to lead your life. You've got to surrender the reins, the steering wheel, so you can do that. I want to give all of you in this room and out online an opportunity to do that. So would everyone right now, would you just bow your head and close your eyes and do some business with God? If you know Jesus, consider where you're at with the Holy Spirit. Consider where you're at in your walk with him. Consider that. If you're saying today, if you're in this room and you're saying today, I want that to be a part of my life. I want to surrender wholeheartedly. I want Jesus to be Lord. I, and you're, you're ready to get real. I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you. But just for the sake of like I had to lift my hands when my mom said that just to surrender. I want you to lift your hand, one hand to Jesus and say that's me. Would you raise your hand high right now? I see a few of you here in this room. Good. Those of you online, you can let us know. There's a raise your hand. There may be a raise your hand thing in there. If not, you can just type in in the chat box where you're at. I'm receiving Jesus. And, and we're, we're going to pray for you right now. Pray this with me. Say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I, I changed my mind. I renounced the dirt of my life. But I can't transform it. So Jesus, I confess you as Lord of my life. Take control of my reins. Take control of my steering wheel and guide my life. Holy Spirit, I invite you in as the gold of God. And I'm asking you to transform me, transform my dirt to conform to the image of the gold, to the image of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give thanks for everyone that's doing this online in this room.